They didn't understand that good pussy sell anywhere if you sell it right, bitch. So, you know, if you sell it right and you put an investment in it, instead of having good pussy, giving it away, honey, letting the men tell you it's good pussy, make the men pay for the good pussy. God damn it, that's when you know it's good pussy. You gon' do any man could tell you you got good pussy. Well, bitch, if you can't invest in good pussy, and motherfucker, get a residual from good pussy, the pussy ain't really that good. It's just pussy. So that's all it is. It's just pussy. Good pussy, pay bill. What's good? Y'all, y'all hold on slow, now you got it. Welcome to the Black Sublime Podcast, and this is your host, Aeolus White, a.k.a. Mr. Haberdashery, a.k.a. Good as the best of them, but as bad as the worst, so don't test me. Um, yeah. Well, let me just let Trina finish, and then I'm going to get into my shit. Hold on. Pussy asshole. I love Trina. And this is Trina Appreciation Day for me. This podcast isn't going to come out until Tuesday of next week, but I'm recording it on Friday, June 21st. Which is Trina Day in my head. Um, she just released her album, The One. Please cop that. The voice that you heard initially to begin the podcast is none other than T.S. Madison Hinton. She is a comedian. I think she's based out of Atlanta. Not sure about that, but she's, you know, she's a global girl. She's a legend. Uh, without her, a lot of the sort of social media space that, you know, black, trans women have in the comedy space would not exist. So, shout out to her. Um, and then obviously that was Trina getting in her bag. That was an old rant from I think like last year or two years ago, but it crossed my mind as we were now, you know, as we were celebrating the release of her album. So this is going to be a fun podcast. Actually, I don't know. It's going to be enjoyable for sure, but I don't really know how much keying we're going to do as I figure out how to segment the podcast. But... Um, What I will say is I'm thinking about sort of borrowing an element from my friend Jonathan. He he runs a podcast called A Bartender's Guide to the Universe, and I was recently a guest on that show. Shout out to him. And he actually got a new co-host. I think her name is Victoria. He He cannot stop ranting about how wonderful she is, so I'm really excited for them. Um... But I was thinking about, you know, niggas lying on their dicks and cocktails, you know, the the term. And then it just got me thinking about stories of love and finding love and how tales of the cock or cocktails would be an interesting aspect. So I'm thinking about doing that. Not sure if we're going to get into that tea um, this episode, but I do have things for y'all. So... A lot has, in my personal life, 
and just globally or nationally there's been a conversation a lot about queerness because it is World Pride Month I spoke a little bit about that before New York Pride is coming honey that's June 30th so you know we're gonna be lit well I'm gonna be lit I'm thinking about making this cocktail for Pride that's like an acronym so anyway I'm not gonna give away all of my my things but Regardless, you know, and I do a lot of drinking, I'm socializing a lot with patrons, fellow bartenders, artists, because obviously I am an artist. Oh, sorry, I didn't even plug myself. So the music that you heard while Trina was getting in her bag was a song that I produced, and it's one of my songs. It's the Make Myself Love Him remix. That is out on all platforms. You can cop that. Um, I'm going to start introducing more of my own instrumentals to the podcast, considering that I've produced most of my sort of upbeat music, and um, I can do that because it's my shit. Um, But, so let's get into what queer is right actually let me stop and i'm going to get into something before that one of my listeners even though i haven't publicized this podcast yet but some people have listened have found it shout out to y'all um told me that they had no idea what the black sublime was why i came up with the shit why i'm naming it this way what my what my mentality is around that what's going to be the identity etc etc and i'm not going to go into the whole business strategy bit but i will give y'all a little bit of the, a little bit of the thinking that I'm that I'm that I'm exhibiting or that I have. So think about so in Western philosophy, and I'm about to get in my nerd bag, whatever. There's a concept of the sublime, and my first encounter with it was um, studying Kant's aesthetics, and there, there's an idea that you know nature can imbue an event or a phenomenon with so much energy let's just say energy generally right um but i don't really i'm sure people that are in their philosophy by whatever but will correct me or whatever i'm not trying to give y'all a lesson but i am trying to walk you through my thinking will imbue something of a natural phenomenon with so much energy as though to the to the extent that human beings cannot understand it our intellect cannot apply the rules that we un- that we use to understand things the categories if you guys are familiar with Kant um, to understand things our minds can't get it so think about really huge hurricanes or just natural catastrophes that leave us you know wondering well it reminds us how little how small we are how polished we are in contrast to nature or even something so beautiful like a waterfall or just how can this come to be um that encounter with nature and that inability to understand it that awe that wonder is an encounter with the sublime and when i thought about black majesty and what us, how we as a people, a Pan-African, um, with a Pan-African lens rather, how we move and how people look at us, it is as though they're encountering a sublime, except we are not, you know, we don't have the, the 
power of nature. We're human beings, but we do carry something and people seek to exploit or they seek to demonize or they seek to fetishize this power and that's where the black sublime came from in my imagination so i wanted to share that tea to y'all with y'all all right so back to queer i was in this bar talking to a fellow bartender um a white cisgendered woman who doesn't want to take on the label as bi. She wants to just be able to say that she's attracted to men and women. Um, and let's, I'll get into that a little bit later. Not specific to her, but just in general. I even learned a new term the other day, homoromantic, that I thought was interesting. So she was saying that, and she told me about an experience where she identified as bi previously, and she spoke to a lesbian, a, light, a white cisgendered lesbian, who said, you know, you can't identify as bi, you're not bi, what's that? Because the girl, the bartender, was in a heterosexual relationship at the time. And so this bartender was venting to me, talking to me a lot about how difficult it is for, to identify and to know where to fit in this LGBTQ world and all of this. And I, I like her. So that's why I was listening. You know, typically when this type of thing, when white womanhood interacts with my politics, it tends not to work with me, particularly like in a cisgendered you know, space, but I, you know, I like her, so it was good, you know, so we were talking, and she said, and I kind of understood her, right, because I do understand how people, how it can be difficult to find your space while you're trying to help like well you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions we know this so I got her frustration but I had to explain to her I was like it is wrong for someone to tell you how to identify so that person telling you that you can identify as bi that person was wrong but you have to understand privilege as well so back when this had happened to the bartender gay marriage wasn't legal and all of this and People perceive, and I'm not saying that it's even the case. I think I don't think it's the case at all. But there are people that perceive passing as a privilege. So anything that looks like passing, and I think a lot of times the conversation around bisexuality, particularly around cisgendered folks that have a conventional presentation as well. So let's say you are a femme a feminine, you know, woman and you, and you you're bisexual but you are in a relationship with a traditionally masculine or whatever words you want to use cisgendered man. There are people that look at that as a type of passing um that is triggering. Not to say that it's right, but it's triggering. So then she, the, the woman that I guess was trying to be oppressive, got in her own bag and was like, well, you know, you can't be here. You can't sit with us, essentially, which is not correct. Right. That's obviously not what we want to do. But I think in 
in seeking from collective action, collective progress toward, you know, towards liberation of the community, of the people, we have to understand or seek to understand perceived privilege and how, you know, people can react from a triggered place. What I explained or what I said to old girl, the you know, I was like, the correct thing would have been if the girl had if the woman that she had beef with was self-aware enough to say I'm triggered by her perceived privilege and I don't even know you. You might have a struggle that I don't know about her sexual orientation and I'm just judging you off rip. You know what I'm saying? Like she a real bitch who knew what time it was might have you know. But now that we now that it's years later and we have the privilege of ref- retrospection and conversation like let's let's get with the shits let's have that talk um so that all led us to a conversation of what does queer mean to you and i i've had an answer you know i knew cuz i have thought about this in the past um but it was interesting being in a conversation with the for queer people or for LGBT, for members of the LGBTQ community and having to talk about what queer means. So people went, one gentleman was like, it's, you know, an umbrella term that brings people to the table. You know, it, it's a it's something that just references the community. You know, it used to be derogatory. It's a reclaiming of the word in, of sorts. Or it used to be something that, you know, that referred to just non-binary people and more of a gender expression than a sexual orientation. But it's since, it's since evolved or has been reappropriated. And for me... I said queer is a political stance, and I believe that. You know, I believe that it's a political position that is enabled by sexual orientation or enabled by unconventional expressions of gender, but it's a political stance that, as at, that at its core deals with the kinship of oppression. It deals with the fact that all of these forms of oppression are bedfellows. Misogyny, racism, elitism, you know, etc. All of these things are, they're all just other forms of transformations of one another. And that sort of deliberate but general rejection of that of that ism of those isms of that oppressive regime along the vector of sexual orientation or gender expression makes you a queer person to me um and why i need to be that specific which is weirdly general in some ways too but why i take that point of view is that gay men are misogynistic Tons of gay men are misogynistic. Tons of gay men are elitist. You know, we really don't have that conversation about... And even me... I mean, people might say that me playing Trina and T.S. Madison dragging hoes is misogynistic. I personally wouldn't give a fuck. But people... I, I, I know that there's a feminist out there ready with that argument. You know? And... 
there's a history of gay men. I, I think what we do to women, and we being the world, not gay men, is that we train women to acknowledge violence as sexual only, right? Or to only acknowledge sexual violence. And to think about misogyny or sexism perpetrated by men as sexual. So a lot of times I feel, and you know, the women who are, can speak for themselves, but from my vantage point, it looks like we don't give women a space to complain about violence that is not sexual. So a lot of times women carry violence or carry scars and trauma from gay men critiquing their look, talking about their bodies, touching them because, well, they're not trying to fuck me, so maybe I should be fine with it or maybe I should be, you know. So a lot of that conversation isn't had. And I think there's also a cold war between, well, I'm, I'm going to just let that rock. We'll do another, another podcast on that. Um, so there are times that we don't give that conversation life or breath and gay men are allowed to continue to perpetuate this anti-woman, this misogyny. So, one, I mean, and then there's a gay men can also lean into the male privilege, particularly economic male privilege, especially if they're cisgendered and white, can lean into that economic male privilege and acquire quite amount a quite a large amount of wealth um and perpetuate elitist structures against everybody else i mean you know so all of that is to say or i say all of that because it's clear that not everyone in the lgbt community necessarily or by necessity of just being a member is advocating for the collective it's that's obvious right um and a lot of people even a lot of the people doing the work identify as women of color and that's how it's been that's how it is in most communities right right but the lgbt Q community is no exception to that. So I just want y'all to know, and I'm not trying to tell you to adhere to my definition of queer, but that's where my head is at. And I think it's important for y'all to know that when I have these conversations about queerness. Um, And I invite people to, particularly women, but everyone to have a conversation about how the violence of gay of the violence within our community right the violence that we levy or perpetuate against each other because a collective healing needs to happen and when I reflect on my own life you know there have been times where I have been violent you know against everyone you know women not you know especially special in that where i have enacted my own violence and against people in my community um as i was sort of understanding my politics or understanding my sexual orientation or just understanding my identity um or how to rap how to grapple with my identity where violence i mean particularly elitism well 
all of the isms, frankly, except race. I've always kind of been like down for my people. Like I, I just, you know, black, you know, whatever. But and I've always kind of just been open. So I would say like no, not racism, but the most of the isms I've definitely suffered from as well and you know have had to grapple with what else did I want to share with you so on that there was also um, and I do feel like I'm rambling so I'm gonna try to you know get through this quick there's a show there's an article written by Spencer Cornhaber. I could be fucking up his last name, but I'm a huge fan of him. Um, I've always been. He writes for The Atlantic. He really writes. He's a cult. He is a cultural commentator. I'm sure there's a more eloquent way of saying that. But I started reading him based on his commentary on music um, and and TV shows. And then it expanded to, I guess, as whenever he writes something and I see it on Twitter, I read it. He wrote something recently that I think was published either today or yesterday called Cruising in the Age of Consent. And the conversation is basically similar to what I was trying to say <laughs> in the last bit about just acknowledging the violences uh, and forming a communal identity in now that we have a language to speak about things that we have suffered with all along or quote-unquote suffered. So he talks about how gay men, older men hit on younger men or the the involuntary groping and all the stuff that happens that men sort of just say you know gays will be gays and if you go to a certain place and your shirt's off expect to be ogled expect to be touched expect all these things and reading it the what i what was in conflict for me and i'm struggling with this so please i have a lot of things to discuss here but I'm just well questions really to ask you know my experience with male sexuality particularly in the context of queer or gay men is that there are things that are kind of taboo that occur that aren't necessarily bad. Like, one of the first guys I developed feelings for and a, and a strong bond for was much, much older than me. I mean, I'm talking like 20 plus years older than me. And I was like 18 or 19 and he was in his 40s. Um, so I guess 30, almost 30 years older. And the encounter that we the se- the sexual sort of encounters that we had are and the, the what happened i would not describe anything as coercive in that in that conversation and you would have you could have the you could say that on that relationship you could say that it was coercive or but it it wasn't at all and i know a lot of people that have that their first relationships or their first you know encounters with the community happens via an older conduit 
and that and it was I don't think many of these men would describe it as coercive or anything rapey and I think the and honestly I remember the conversation that I had with him we had a great talk for like hours um the very first time we met and it really set the standard for what I what I expect from men you know I the, the type of intimacy the rea- the 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 straightforwardness but the you know we talked about our families our struggles he had a near-death experience like we were reading poetry to each other like this first meet up was so intimate that when I met other people and they were talking to me about like what I did for work I was really bored but it taught me to value conversations it taught me that if you know how to and how to create an intimacy that, or how to seek intimacy without being vulgar, without being materialistic, without having a checklist, without, you know, none of these things. And, you know, it forced us to not hide from each other. And nothing exploitative, it's funny because our, nothing exploitative happens, you know, like, it, I don't know, but. What I'll say is I know a lot of people that have had a similar story. And in this age, in this Me Too era, I think we as a community, as you know, gay men are trying to figure out, wait a minute, we are men too. And we know that there's violence that happens in our community that can be described with the same language as women are using to describe violence against them, have we been abused or raped this entire time? And I struggle with that because, one, patriarchy affords a male privilege that, yes, we all need protection, but that doesn't put us at the same risk as women. Two, male sexuality isn't as um, as formulaic as people would like us to think. You know, patri- patriarchy, that's also a myth of patriarchy. That men want certain things, men have to do certain things, men are a slave to this, you know, older men are perverts. Like, all of these things are also myths of patriarchy and a lot of beautiful things happen when you dis when you allow men to be sexual beings um in the article that spencer was talking about there was a lesbian woman that sort of went undercover at a gay bathhouse and she found that men were direct with each other but in a way that wasn't violent like she think there was a sentence like there was no thinly veiled violence or something like that and I have gone to several sex parties I used to be a freak I used to frequent them when I was younger and I found the same thing I actually became more confident in my sexuality as a result of going to these sex parties because I can look at a man and want to talk to him or want to do something sexual with him. You know, want to just... Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I had to. I had to press it. I had to do it. Um, 
And, you know, and he might not be with it. And he'll say no or nothing. And then I'll shake his head and then I move on. Or he'll laugh and say thank you and be complimented and not be with it. Or same thing with me. Like it, it taught me how not to be a nasty bitch when people are checking for me and I don't want to be sexual with them. And it taught me that rejection is not going to change my life. <laughs> it's good. It's fine. And that made me a better person, honestly, because when you go into the world outside of these sex parties people feel encountered i mean sorry entitled to attention to reciprocation to these things and in the sex party it's not like that you learn to just and deal with people and be and allow them to be honest about their desires and not judge them and if you are rejected you get your life together and go something else with your with your time um as opposed to scowling and you know that's the thing about in the outside world and in heterosexual dynamics the scariest thing is a rejected man and as a as a straight person or like women you know rejected men will do crazy shit crazy shit and even in the context of you know in the outside world you experience that as well um but it's like, I don't know. I just feel like when we let sex, when we kind of release those taboo confines on sexuality, I think we have a deeper understanding. And I'm hesitant, at least right now, to um, to put the sort of Me Too flavor onto gays, even though there have been some exploitative things in the news that we found out, obviously, and I'm going to go into all of that. Um, all right. What else do I want to talk to y'all about? Um, you know what? I feel like we did well. I think that's. I think that's it. I mean, there are some other things out that are on this vein that I want to share, but I think you know. I think we'll we'll um you know have some fun. Later, I'm thinking of other ways to entertain you all. Um, well, tis all like have a beautiful, have a beautiful week. Um, before we go, we will take a collective breath because I forgot to do that in the beginning. And you know, I just want y'all to remember what Trina said. So hold on, let me get that together. And if you call me a bitch, make sure you put baddest in front of me. Whack ass hoes. And if you and if you and if you call me a bitch, and if you and if you call me a bitch, and if you and if you call me a bitch, and if you and if you call me a bitch, make sure you put baddest in front of me. Whack ass hoes. collective breath so on the count of four I guess we should inhale so one two three four one two three four breathe out breathe in hold breathe out 
breathe out. Have a lovely, lovely, lovely week. Um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.